Hey, I have a question for you. First of all, I, I want to welcome you here today. As I said earlier, it's so good to be with you. And uh, as we come together to worship our, our Savior and Lord. But uh, to start out this morning, I want to ask you, what's your favorite holiday? <laughs> Christmas might be it, all right, as we hear from the crowd, all right, that's good. Just think about that, reflect on it, what's your favorite holiday? Um, you know, is it Mother's Day? Yeah, it's coming up, right? It could be Memorial Day, uh, there's uh, Independence Day, oh, I, I forgot, Father's Day, Right? Yeah, we got Father's Day uh, coming up. Uh, Labor Day, I don't know if that's, that's your favorite. Maybe like the weekend off, right, uh, in that way. Or Thanksgiving, or as we heard earlier, Christmas. Think about that for a moment. What you, well, why? Uh, what is it? And then I would ask, also ask you, why is that your favorite holiday? Because, uh, you know, for me, uh, I, uh, my favorite is Thanksgiving. And second to that is uh, Christmas. And the reason why I, I, I like those holidays is that everything shuts down. No one's going anywhere. Um, and it's a time for family, food, friends, gifts. You know, yeah, on Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'll, I'll go out in the morning and just go for a drive. No one's driving. I love it. <laughs> it just reminds me, hey, we're, we're shutting down and, and, and that, but... You know what I, I enjoy? I enjoy taking a break from life, right? Taking a break from life and reflecting on God's blessings and provisions. Today, uh, it's Palm Sunday, uh, which marks the day of, of Jesus Christ's triumphal entry. Uh, when he came in, and uh, he came in on a donkey, proclaimed himself and and what he would eventually come to do. But it's really the beginning of his final week before he goes to the cross and then the tomb. And then he rises again on Resurrection Sunday. And hey, will we be celebrating that next week, right? Resurrection Sunday. Hopefully you're looking forward to it. Be back here. Enjoy the time in that way. You know, for followers of, followers of Jesus Christ... Um, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, is, is a holy day, uh, a holiday we look forward to because of its significance, uh, of what it was accomplished on that day for those who believe in Jesus Christ. First, to know that our sins have been forgiven, and second, to, to have the hope for eternity. That there's a life after this life. That there will come a day when, when uh, Jesus Christ will come again and take us to be with him for eternity. And, and we, we celebrate that. And next Sunday, you want to be invited. This is the Sunday to invite your friends, especially next Sunday. Every Sunday is a friend day around here. You invite your friends. But we want to encourage you, especially be who can you invite to come out? Because we want to celebrate the greatness of our God. The greatness of that, that, that song that just expressed that. I so appreciated that, that song as we celebrate the greatness of our Savior. Now as we, as we come to this final sermon here in the book of Esther, and I invite you to open up your copy of the Word of God to Esther. 
we're going to be looking into uh, chapter 9. But we're, we've been in this series, Plot Twist, How God Saved the Queen. And uh, we've, we've been studying this Old Testament book of Esther. And we, see, um, and we see where a holy day or a holiday for the Jewish people now is, is first celebrated and then it is established as a holiday to be celebrated from generation to generation. In fact, this, what we're going to read about here as we wrap up this series is we're going to read about the holiday of Purim that started here at the end of a of the book of, uh, actually the second half of chapter 9 uh, of, of, of Esther. And um, it was celebrated, in fact, this past month on March 6th and 7th by Jewish people all around the world. Now, what's interesting, uh, for modern day Jewish people, the celebration, the Feast of Purim, um, uh, the celebrating this, a, a festival of survival and joy. It involves many elements. First, uh, it involves great celebration. Now, who does not love to celebrate, right? Anybody, right? We love to celebrate. It involves great celebration. Perm, in fact, is the most, they, they define it as the jolliest day of the year for the Jewish person. Above any other holiday, this is the one where, man, it is the greatest, most ex- expressive and, and just to be enjoyed. It commemorates here the salvation of the Jewish people from ancient Persia that, that we've been learning about as we've been going through Esther, of, of the, how they were saved from Haman's plot to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, infants, women, and to do it in a single day. That was the mission. And so they celebrate that they, they were saved from that. Um, it also involves the understanding of the meaning of Purim. Uh, it's a Persian word. Um, it means lots in the sense of casting lots and in, in ancient Persian. So the holiday was, was therefore named Purim since the evil Haman had thrown lots to determine when they would carry out this evil plan that he had of their, to destroy them. It involves also celebrating the heroes of the story, that being Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai being the leader of, of the Jewish people, he, he was around and also is the cousin of Esther and kind of a father figure to Esther, uh, who was uh, his cousin. She, Esther, was, you know, as we understood from, from, from the study here, she was forcibly made queen of Persia, yet Esther bravely, she interceded and putting her own life at, at risk on behalf of her people. And so they, they remember that. It's celebrating those two people. And then there's also the re- reading of the uh, Megella. Or Megella means scroll. I'm not sure if I'm saying it exactly right. I'm doing my best. But the Megella in, in, in that regards, and it's the scroll of Esther. And so this is because uh, of Esther's request she asked that it, all these events be written down in a scroll and read every year at Purim. So that's why we have the book of Esther. And then it's following also the, the mitzvahs. Uh, mitzvahs are rituals that Jewish people follow in order to fulfill what needs to be done. 
And so the mitzvah of Purim is, has four different elements to it. There's the reading, again, of the Megillah, uh, which recounts the story of the Purim miracle. It is done on the eve of the first day that we're going to see, the 14th. And then it's done again on the following day, the 15th of, of Adar. There's also um, the, the, uh, the mitzvah also includes the giving of monetary gifts to at least two poor people. And so you will find in the, in the streets where Jewish communities are, the poor will have their hand out, and you are expected to give a gift uh, in that regard. There's the sending of two kinds of food to at least one person. You know, it's even said, I was reading this past week, it's even said that, you know, during, normally during the weeks, the main streets are, are jam-packed. But during Purim, the side streets are busy. Because everybody's taking their food and they're, they're, they're to their neighbor and, and sharing portions of food. And then there's also the festive, the feast of Purim, which often includes wine and Purim treats. There's this one treat that's called, and I heard that it was in Costco this past week <laughs> or a couple weeks ago. We should have got some for afterwards, but it, it's called uh, Haman Taskin, I think is how it's said. But it's actually a, a pastry that's in the shape of a triangle, and it's kind of a dry pastry on the outside, but in, hidden inside is this fruit uh, or a, a filling of some kind. It's just delightful, and it's a picture of how it was desperate times that Haman had set before them, and, and so... But then God is working behind the scenes and, and the story. And as you bite in, you realize the sweetness of God and his provision. And, and so they have this, this treat that they, that they eat on a regular day. There's the, also the spinning of gaggers. Now, do you remember as a kid growing up and you had this little thing and you would spin it. And it was like kind of shaped like that, almost like a rectangle. And it would make a really kind of sound. I'm not very good at making sounds. Anybody remember those? I remember those. I just, it was like something you get at the fair or whatever, and you just spin that thing. And, and, and so there's the spinning of the gaggers, which is, um, uh, or even like a noisemaker. All right? Kind of like that. In fact, I watched a, uh, a uh, Jewish synagogue service in Purim here this past week online, and they were using this as their gagger. They, they had one of these as their gagger. And, and what is the purpose of that? It's used to drown out Haman's name during the Megillah reading. And so, they, as they read the, the Megillah, and whenever Haman's names, they would go, hey, and there would be booing and hissing. Should we try that? Haman. All right. Oh, well, I see. All right. And so, there is that... that that's, that's what it is. And so, like, if we were to go, in fact, I was going to flip open here to chapter 3. Chapter 3. In fact, let's, let's just try this for a moment, okay, to experience it. Because this is what they do. They celebrate. They, they in that way. And they just go, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. Yes. And so they, and I could read on. And so and then what's interesting, I, I thought quite interesting, is that they, uh, part of their experience is that they masquerade on Purim. You know how we, on Halloween our kids are dressed up in costume? They do that on Purim. It's very interesting. And people, they traditionally, uh, mainly kids, and uh, in fact, they, they, they noted that 
you know, on Purim, the service of Purim, it's the only time during the service that kids are encouraged to make noise, you know, and boo and hiss and use their noisemaker. But they dress up. And, and again, like the hidden, hidden treats mentioned earlier, many say that concealing themselves like behind a mask or costume reflects the way God operated behind the scenes of natural events and circumstances. So this celebration, this, this holiday, this, this festival of joy, this jolliest day of the year, it began over 2,500 years ago per Esther and Mordecai's direction. This, became, uh, be- this came because, and this is the reason why, is, is that throughout the Bible, and as you read through Old Testament history and understand that, throughout the Bible, the people of God are called to remember things, to remember events. And they put in place certain practices, things, aids, stacking of stones. You'll read that through all of Scripture. I'm reading through the Old Testament chronologically right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm into uh, uh, Joshua, all right? And as they cross that, that, that Jordan River, yeah, the Jordan River, I believe, and they went and they set up stones. Remembrance stones is part of that. And so, and so you see that, and they were called, God called them, ordained to them. And so, so there's this aspect of, of recalling and having things that remind us and recalling what God has done for them. And so this event of Purim is described here now in the second half of Esther 9. It underscores this importance attached to remembering. And so here's the thing I want you to consider as we work through these final verses here of of the book of Esther, is that I want you to see this, the importance of remembering what God has done. Have you considered that? And I, I would ask you to uh, consider how invested, how invested in your life are you to remembering? How invested are you to passing down to the next generation what God has provided us as followers of Jesus Christ? So let's look, let's look at what, what the Jewish people built on, uh, as a history of remembering of how God worked in their lives to add to that history of remembering this great festival of joy. And the first thing I think we, we see that I want to bring out is that they remembered by celebrating the fruits of victory. It was a day of feasting, of gladness, rest, and showing generosity. Look at verse 17. Now it says, this happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. Now what happened on the 13th? If you go back to last week and the, the sermon that Pastor Brandon shared with us, you will remember that 75,000 people died when the Israelites, or the Jewish people, defended themselves against the attack, the decree of Haman. And they were allowed to defend themselves. And, and on that day, this happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And that was the only day that they could, the people could try to do that according to the decree. But as king, he had he made another decree that they, the Jewish people could uh, could defend themselves. And as a result, uh, uh, that happened on the thirteenth day. And it goes on. And on the fourteenth day, they rested. 
And they made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews of Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and the 14th. Otherwise, now the Jews in that city of Susa, they, though, they, they, there was another 500 that, that they had to defend themselves against that died on the 14th day. And then they, and then on the 15th day, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why, now it gives an explanation here, that is why the ruled, ruled Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day of giving presents to each other. Mordecai now, he records these things, these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the providence of King Xerxes, near and far, and to have them celebrate annually. Now, she says, well, then let's celebrate on the 14th and the 15th day of the month. So Mordecai made it a two-day event. And as, verse 22, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So you can see the modern day understanding and what they now practice. Now, the Jews, here's the thing. The Jews had won an amazing victory because of God's mercy. And so Mordecai here, he calls the Jews to celebrate that salvation. They, they just naturally celebrated, but now he's calling them to regularly celebrate that and continue to celebrate that. Now think about this. Think about the contrast Think about the emotions. Think about what they were experiencing as they, as they lived through this and, and, and what led to such great celebration that it continues to today. See, before their salvation, they lived in fear, right? Unbelievable fear. They were going to be annihilated. Reflect on that. The king's edict could not be changed. And it was, Haman had set it up, and even to, to not fully, the king's not fully understanding what took place. But there was a day that was marked out ahead, nine months, when they would be annihilated. Think of the fear. Think as, a, as you think of your, you look to your child, and it, it was not just to the men of, 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 of the Jewish people, it was men, women, and children, everything. Just think of the emotion, think of the fear that would drive you deep, deep into your soul. Where could they hide? How could they survive? There's no hope. There's no hope. And then you contrast that as they got word. The new edict went out. Hold on, there's something going on here. God is doing a great work. What, what is taking place? And then the day comes and they receive their salvation. Imagine going from thinking that you're going to be annihilated 
to, to coming to that place where you are being saved and there's great celebration, there's great hope. They were overwhelmed with joy. Have you ever had that time where the tears of joy just streamed down your face? Reflect on that. When has that been for you? Where you've just been moved to unbelievable and laughter and just great. Yes! Think of the contrast. And you can just begin to taste and see what they were experiencing, what was gripping their heart. They probably, they were singing songs and there's, you know, there's, there's laughter, there's praising God for everything that happened. They were a, a people of God and automatically it would have been a moving to praise of God. I, I can picture dancing in the streets. You know, when I was over in Israel this past September with my brother, we're, we're I, I come to get a little flavor of the dancing they have, of celebration. And we were, we were on the Sea of Galilee in this big boat, and we were trying to catch fish, and we're throwing a net over, and yes, and well, we didn't catch a thing. But, uh, you know, and so, uh, but only a few people, but our, our, our Jewish guide, he had, I think he had it all planned, but he, all of a sudden, we're dancing on the boat. Bum, 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 yes, and we're going around, and it was just like, and there's, there's yes, this, there's joy, and there's, and there's extreme just excitement, and we see the children, you know, they, they could go out and not fear, they could play in the yard, and not fear that they would be hindered or hurt, and there's, there's this laughter, and there's this great relief. And so the Jews, the Jews of Persia, were overjoyed at their salvation. And so they celebrated. And they would do that every year and year on. They also remembered by continuing to review how the, how the victory came. And you see a synopsis of that here in the next verses. Look at verse 23. It says, so the Jews agree to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai, Mordecai had written to them. For, and now here, here is why. Again, they give a synopsis of what took, what took place. He goes, for, for Haman, yes, son of Hamadath, the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had them cast the purr, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme, Haman, had devised against the Jews should come back on his own head and that he and his sons should be hung on the gallows. Now, Every Jew who initially celebrated this feast was very aware of the wicked Haman. They knew who he was. And its desire to rid the kingdom of every Jew. They understood his prejudice and his hatred that had driven him to extreme measures. Imagine with me that hatred. Think about that kind of hatred. 
He had such anger in his soul, in his being. He would do whatever he can, could to manipulate the king of the providence, to do whatever he could to manipulate, to influence for the destruction of a people he hated. That is hatred. They knew that person. And they were committed to not forgetting that. But it also served as a reminder of the courage and commitment of Esther as she came before the king to intercede on the behalf of the Jews. She risked her life in order to save theirs. And they especially did not want to forget that. And it was so they, they made a commitment not to forget how God worked through the unexpected behind the scenes and amid the circumstances and through the, the smallest of people who have no, no prestige in any way. God was going to work. And so they remembered by continuing to review the victory that came. And then thirdly, they remember by committing to passing on, passing it on to the next generation. Uh, it was to be celebrated. It was to be reviewed. It was to be passed on continuously throughout life and every generation. Look at verse 26. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word Pur because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. The Jews took it upon themselves to establish the customs that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail, without fail, observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and as the, at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every providence and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out amongst their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in, in the 127 providences of the king, kingdom of Xerxes, words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed before them and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regards to their times of fasting and lamentations. Otherwise, there was fasting that, that led up to this because Esther had called the people to fast and then there's great celebration. Esther decreed, confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. And so, every Jew, every Jew submitted to the decree, and they gladly did, gladly celebrated the feast. They committed to celebrate Purim here every year. It was a commitment, a commitment of their family, a commitment of their community, a commitment, you could say, of their synagogue, all right? Purim, every year on the 14th and 15th of Adar, the Jews committed to ensuring the feast would never fail to be celebrated on these designated days. And it would endure throughout coming generations. Now, 
those who were alive at the time would teach it to their children, the great lessons and the feast, and encourage them to celebrate it. And, so, and then they would teach it to their children. One generation would pass it down, down to the next. And, and so, so the Jews continued to celebrate, and they even continue to celebrate today, this past month, as a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness to his people. And so we see here, thirdly, they remember the committing, passing it on to the next generation. But then lastly, they remembered by recognizing the secret of the, their victory. That being a, that there was a power, that being God, at work behind the scenes. Look, look at chapter 10 now in verses 1 through 3. King Xerxes, everything's done, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to, dis, to its distant shores. And all his acts of power and might, together with the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king had raised him, are they not written in the books of the annuals of the kings of the Mede, Mede and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his fellow, many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all Jews. So what we see here in these final three verses is this. Life returns to normal. But a normal where there's peace. Now normal here meant the payment of, of a tribute or a tax. There's much discussion. Why would this be mentioned in the passage? A tax. And there's much discussion about it. No one knows for sure, but there's some indication that possibly Mordecai's influence on the king was that, hey, let's, let's institute a tribute. And let's encourage people to, to d take their resources and their lands and reproduce and, and, and provide for their families and their communities, but then also give a tribute back to the kingdom instead of going and conquering other nations and plundering them. And so there's an implication that possibly the influence here is that, hey, let's live in peace and live a peace and let's not plunder each our, ourselves, each other. But, but what's important, I think, to see here, as, as the book wraps up, is that the book, also, the book began with King Xerxes as a prominent figure. And it told the story of the display of his abusive power and might. But then there's turmoil in the kingdom. There's fear. And, and, and in fact, this turmoil he wasn't even very much aware of. He wasn't even clued in on it. And yet he allowed it. Well, irresponsibility on his part to not what's, know what's going on in his kingdom. And allow Haman to even to pursue this. But now what we find here is, is that the book ends with the king prominent again, looked to with favor by all. And there's a display of his power and his might, but also peace. 
peace among all people, and especially for the Jews. And here we see the final, the final plot twist is seen in that God had orchestrated that the man who, the man Haman who looked to destroy is now put in, is, that, that man Mordecai is now placed in a, a position of power. A humble man, a man of God. And he, he arises to greatness to establish life of peace, and especially life of peace for the Jews. What a twist of events when God's at work in your midst. You know, remembering, remembering is so important. Remembering what God has done, it's, it's important because here's the thing. It serves as an example of his power, grace, and mercy, and you're reminded of that. You look for that, and you see it, and he, and you see God begin to speak into your own heart. And you may be sitting in this place, and you may be battling with God, and, and you're, you're struggling to see. You're struggling to trust. Maybe you've, you're asking questions of God. And God says, don't forget. Don't forget. Because, see, when we remember, it encourages us to continue to walk in faith. When we remember, we, we meditate on the amazing things that God has done in the past. And the, this whole book is a reminder of that. And that's why it's so important to get into this book and, and read through it, even in a year or two, whatever it takes, to see God at work and understand how he has has he has worked, but it, it and it drives you and it encourages you to live life as an overcomer, to face the challenges of life and the hardships of life by faith and trust and prayer and fasting. But also when we when we pass on how God has worked to the next generation, we, we lay this foundation for them to walk in faith with God. We, we, we as, you could say as parents or as, as adults or, or um, ones who are giving leadership to the faith, we have a great responsibility to lay the foundation for the next generation. We can't force them to believe it, but we lay the foundation to give them the opportunity to believe it and see that God would work. That they might see, see, this, see God and see his son, Jesus Christ. You know, as we reflect on, on the, this, this passage, and as I was reflecting this past week on, on how, how the Jews remembered how God had worked in their lives, there's so many parallels for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to share just a few here in closing, and that is this. First of all, we need to remember by celebrating our victory. Remembering by celebrating our victory. 
I think, I think our celebration of the resurrection at Easter that we're going to do next Sunday, are you ready for that? It's one of the greatest days in the life of the church. It, it, is, it is something that we need to lift up in even greater ways. Uh, next Sunday, we celebrate the deliverance we have from sin and death. And, 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 and as we praise the Lord for his grace and sacrifice on the cross, and, and we, we are reminded that he was triumphed, he has triumphed over death and has given us eternal life. In fact, you know, we celebrate ultimately the resurrection each Sunday. Every Sunday morning, that's one of the primary reasons why we are in this place, why we are called to gather together, and why we, we do it on Sunday is to celebrate the resurrection. Every Sunday needs to be a celebration day. It's to remember what God has done by giving his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt of our sin. This is the reality. We are in a worse condemnation, and there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross... What hope we have. And, he, and every Sunday, we, that's the intent. That is the intent that we would celebrate that. We would lift up how important Easter is, but how important every Sunday is for the believer as we gather to worship. And missing Sunday should be an exception, not the rule. And so we remember by celebrating our victory. Secondly, I believe that we remember by reviewing how God has given victory. You know, the Jews did not celebrate Haman, but they did remember him. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to remind yourself, and I would say also the next generation, that we have an enemy, Satan, who wishes to destroy us. He is committed to defeating us at all cost. And he, he strives to do that. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your understanding of faith. He, he is desperate for our destruction. Yet... Yet, every believer, every believer has one who has intervened on our behalf and provided a way of victory to those who believe. And he continues to intercede on our behalf. Our great high priest, and who is that great high priest? Jesus Christ. Our great high priest, our Lord, he continually intercedes at the throne of grace. And we must, we must continue to remind ourselves and the next generation of how God has given us victory through Jesus Christ and continues to give us victory. Then lastly, we need to remember, be remembering by passing it on to the next generation, which is implied through all of this, but being intentional about it. How important it is that the, 
that the current generation lays a foundation for the next generation and know God's truth, his grace, his sacrificial love, his hope that he has given to us. This is part, this is, this is part of what Jesus called to us in making disciples. The first place we are to make disciples is in the home. When Jesus said, he says, all authority in heaven is given and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. I will lead you through that. And the first place we need to do that is in our own homes. And so, let me ask you again, as the worship team comes to close this out, let me ask you again, how invested are you in remembering? In celebrating? In reviewing what God has done? How invested are you in, in passing down to the next generation what God has provided for us? as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I encourage you, here we wrap up the book of Esther, and I encourage you to think back over all that we have learned and seen in this book. It shows the choice we make between seeing the hand of God at work in our life and the circumstances, or you're seeing it as just merely circumstantial things. Do you see God at work in your life? I hope you do. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe and we can be assured that his plans will not be moved by the actions of evil men and women or by the enemy. You know, um, in this final section here, we see that Purim serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness, his abundant grace. You know, they, they, they had received they had received much and had reason to rejoice much. If anyone has reason to rejoice today, it's us. <laughs> it's us, the church, the one who God has called. We have been pardoned of sin, we have been saved by grace, and we began to eat eternal life in our Savior, Jesus Christ. I tell you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, do you not have not come to that place, this is what this is all about, that you might know the one who has rescued you from the darkness of your sin and gives you the opportunity to step into the light and, and the grace of him through that forgiveness of your sin as you commit your life to following after him, the believing in your heart that he died for you. He died for you. Stand with us as we close in the singing of this song and lifting up one more praise today that would take us out into the week as we rejoice in our Savior.